everyone, you're listening to Bionic Bug Podcast with fiction author and national security expert Natasha Bajma. Join me as I discuss the latest news about emerging technology, read chapters from Bionic Bug, and explore the real-life technologies featured in my novel. We'll discuss where fiction meets reality in the future. Hey everyone, welcome back to Bionic Bug Podcast. You are listening to episode number 35. This is your host, Natasha Bajma, fiction author, futurist, and national security expert. I'm recording this episode on December 16, 2018. Let's talk tech. I got a couple of interesting headlines for you guys this week. The first one, does AI truly learn and why we need to stop overhyping deep learning? Published in Forbes.com on December 15. This is a great article and it clearly articulates what today's AI is and more importantly, what it isn't. The media hype, constant media hype about AI has led the general public and even policymakers to have misconceptions about the art of the possible when it comes to artificial intelligence. When I talk to my students about AI, I refer to it as the next generation in software applications. Of course, this is an oversimplification in a number of respects. Hardware is important as well. Um, But it's important to understand that machine intelligence at its current stage is not that intelligent at least not when compared to humans. Can machines outperform humans in certain areas? Yes, but that's been true for several decades. Um, Machine learning refers to a new approach that allows computers to learn from data rather than be limited to manually coded sets of rules and to reason their way to accurate outcomes. But it's important to understand what learning and what reasoning means when it comes to computers at this time. It's not even close to human notions of learning and reasoning. The author of this piece argues that data scientists treat their algorithmic creations as if they were alive, proclaiming that their algorithm learned a new task rather than merely induced a set of statistical patterns from a hand-picked set of training data under the direct supervision of a human programmer who chose which algorithms, parameters, and workflows to use to build it. Um, So, you know, when I... That quote suggests that, you know, this is really a software application and rather than the programmer programming a certain set of if-then statements, um, the machine tool, the the software application actually adapts to the data as it's being trained. But the idea that the machine is learning all on its own is overhyped. So when a machine learning tool learns to identify dog breeds, for example, it does so using spatial groupings of colors and textures with particular strings of text. It looks at millions of images containing dogs, different types of dogs, and eventually is able to identify which dog is which type of breed. Importantly, however, the tool doesn't understand what breed is or what dog means, or that the dog is wearing a collar and why that is the case. Um, a slight change of context and this tool would fail to perform its very simple task. For example, what if we dress the dogs up in Halloween costumes? Unless the tool was specifically trained on images of dogs in costumes, it would most likely fail to identify them as dogs. More importantly, it would be very difficult to potentially to identify the dog breed if it didn't have sufficient information to assess that. Compare this to the human ability to learn. When once a child understands what a dog is, it doesn't matter if the dog's wearing a hat, boots, or a costume. It is a dog. A great report came out last week, um, a detailed understanding 
of the current status of AI, I encourage you to check it out. It's the Artificial Intelligence Index, the 2018 annual report. I've skimmed a little bit of it and can't wait to read it next week. Um, it has a lot of interesting statistics, numbers, but also an analysis on current capabilities and limitations. Next article, Congress can help the United States lead in an artificial intelligence by Michael Horowitz and Paul Charest on foreignpolicy.com on December 10. The U.S. has fallen behind in the development of AI. Last year, China released its next generation artificial intelligence development plan. China plans to become the world leader in artificial intelligence by 2030. Many other countries have released AI strategies, but the United States does not yet have a comprehensive AI strategy. Um, this article comes out at a time just before Congress is about to hold hearings to assess the Department of Defense's progress on AI. The most recent National Defense Authorization Act mandated the creation of a, of a National Security Commission on Artificial Intelligence, high-level commission where the members will be appointed by senior congressional leaders and agency heads and will develop recommendations for advancing the development of AI to bolster U.S. national security. The authors make three important recommendations for the commission to consider. First, we need to accelerate the pace of bureaucracy to leverage developments in the private sector. Unlike in the past, um, long, long time ago during World War II, where defense, where the government led the development of R&D, uh, the reverse is true today. The private sector is leading the development of R&D and AI. And for that reason, the government needs to figure out ways to have better outreach to the private sector and ways to collaborate with them. Second, we need to address the key, some of the key problems with today's AI, such as data bias, the brittleness of machine learning tools, and the lack of transparency of certain AI methods. Um, in some ways, we're putting the cart before the horse. Uh, AI tools are being launched and utilized before we have a good understanding of some of these issues. There are many examples of, of these issues. Data bias, for example, Amazon tried to use a, a machine learning application to help with its hiring, but the data it fed was based on their uh, employ, employment and most of the employees were male. So the, the machine learning tool downgraded any female applicants. And obviously that's a big problem. There are many other issues. Uh, the brittleness of machine learning refers to context. Uh, another example, I use the, the dogs and Halloween costumes example, but another example for a driverless car or self-driving car application is does the machine learning tool understand if a sticker uh, is attached to a stop sign that the stop sign is still a stop sign? Um, some tools are too brittle to understand that slight variation in context and when then not see the stop sign as a stop sign and run through it. That's a big problem. Um, the third recommendation is we need to ask questions of appropriate and responsible use of AI. And this is really critical. Um, we're not seeing enough discourse at the national level about, for example, the use of autonomous, uh, lethal autonomous weapons, um, the use of machine learning tools to make really important national security decisions. These are all really important questions to address. My final headline for this week is truly a scary one. <laughs> and if you haven't read it, you must read it now. Your apps know where you were last night and they're not keeping it a secret, published in the New York Times on December 10. I'm really impressed with some of the technology um, work that is being done by the New York Times recently, and this article is a must read. It's time for Americans to become aware of the power of data. This is a soapbox that I regularly have. In this case, we're talking about location data as a result of anonymous cell phone signals collected by many apps on your smartphones. 
We need to ask questions. Where does that data go? Who uses it? What can they do with it? So you probably have a weather app, you have a news app, um, you have your GPS app. All of those apps, can you can allow them to use your location, pretty much pick up your signal, track your cell phone signal, um, so that they can give you more convenient services. And I find it extremely convenient to know what the weather is going to be. Um, I get these regular weather updates telling me it's about to rain in 15 minutes. Very, very, very helpful. However, the downside of that is that, you know, weather.com knows where I am. And if that data is being collected, what are they doing with it? If they're selling that data, then I have some issues with that. Um, so what can they do with the data? I mean, it's just a cell phone signal. They don't know who you are, right? The short answer to that question is everything. Only a few data points or cell phone signals reveal your identity. The rest of the signals reveal your daily routines, purchases, activities. And even though this data is quote unquote anonymous, it only takes really two data points to determine who you are, your home and your workplace. You spend most of the time in both of those places. So if your cell phone is, is releasing most of the signals in those places, someone looking at that data can say, okay, these are two, two locations where the person spends most of their time. This is a home, this is a business, this is where they live, this is where they work. And using the process of elimination, someone can figure out who you are. Um, and the most important thing to understand is that these apps collect location data, but they're also selling location data. Most companies who buy this data are not interested in you specifically, but in the aggregate, they use the data to customize their advertising. Uh, for example, when I use my Waze app, I get little ads depending on my location. Um, that there's something nearby that perhaps I want to visit. Um, very convenient in some cases, but also if you think about the broader implications, a little troubling. All right, let's turn to Bionic Bug. Last week we left Lara in a tank full of Bionic Bugs. Will she get out? Let's find out what happens next. Chapter 35, The Tank. Lara tucked herself into the fetal position, her arms still tied behind her back, trying to remain as still as possible. In the darkness, time passed slowly. She had no idea how much of it had passed by as she lay there helpless. Her chest rose and fell with rapid short breaths. As long as she didn't move much, the beetles refrained from biting her, for the most part. On occasion, tiny claws tickled her skin, as a beetle crawled from one part of her body to another. The sensation made her want to scream out loud, but she bit her tongue. Lara closed her eyes tightly to forget her surroundings. In her head, each second lasted for an eternity. Her mind raced through the events leading to her capture and torment. This is not happening to me. How did I end up here? What did I do wrong? And then it hit her. Going in alone. That's how I got here. Vic's voice echoed in her memory. Lara, why must you always act before thinking things through? Oh, Vic, you're right. I'm too headstrong for my own good. She'd always assumed Fiddler meant her no harm. But clearly, she'd miscalculated. What had she done to convince Fiddler she deserved this terrible fate? He'd called her a loose end. Why? Because he feared she might stop him? Why not just shoot her dead? We'll see about loose ends. Fiddler had made a crucial mistake leaving her alive. She'd see to that. Her eyes fluttered open for a moment, and she caught a glimpse of a beetle on the glass by her nose. Then she remembered her prison, 
the beetle tank from hell with no promise of an escape. A lump formed in her throat. Every beat of her heart felt like a bomb going off inside of her chest, the pounding in her ears driving her insane. Anger surged in her gut, and her nostrils flared. She released a guttural roar and then shouted with all she had, Fiddler! Let me out of here! Nothing. No response. Fiddler! Get me out of here now! Silence. Can he even hear me? She kicked the side of her t the tank with her feet. Her action rustled the beetles from their slumber. They began buzzing angrily around her head. Lara froze, cringing as the beetles flew closer and closer to her face. She shut her eyes to protect herself from her reality. This is not happening. Not happening. She stayed like that, holding her breath until she passed out from exhaustion. But restless sleep offered her no relief from the physical, mental, and emotional exhaustion crushing her chest like a bowling ball. Fear plagued her, even her dreams. When she woke, reality punched her in the stomach. Tears came to her eyes. Is this it? Is this how it ends? Everything she wanted for her life flashed through her mind, tormenting her with dreams that would die with her. I want to fall in love. For real this time. Own a home. Find a place to belong. Maybe have a family. Probably not kids, but a couple of dogs would be nice. A tear rolled down her cheek as she thought of Rob. Where are you when I need you? Her breathing slowed as she thought about him. The memory of him when they were together and happy calmed her. Do I want another chance with him? I should have forgiven him, at least. Will I ever get the chance to find out? Over the past few weeks, the dynamic between them had been different. She didn't know if Rob had been kind to her because her life had been a wreck, or if he actually was sorry. She knew her independence had made things hard on Rob when they were together. He was the kind of guy that liked to play the knight in charming armor every once in a while. Why couldn't he just love me as I am? Am I really so bad that Bimbo Barbie looked like a good idea? As the hours passed, Lara ran out of thoughts. She ran out of questions. She had no more wishes, no more hope. Finally, Lara surrendered to her fate. It's over. Her limbs were heavy and numb. The dry, sour taste in her mouth reminded her of how long she'd gone without any water. Her body quaked each time a beetle ran across her skin, her nerve endings on high alert. She wanted to scream each time, but she knew it would be of no use. No one would hear her. Ashen was dead, and she was alone in her worst nightmare. Metal clinked against metal. Lara didn't move. She was so exhausted she figured she was hearing things. But then the door opened. A stream of light poured in from a crack in the door. Lara? A soft voice called out. Who's there? She gasped, holding her breath, as if that would help her hear butter. Are you in here? It's me, Justine. Lara jerked her head up. Justine? Her movement attracted a beetle. It landed on her cheek and she went rigid. The light flicked on, illuminating the room. The beetle on her cheek took flight in pursuit of the incandescent bulb above. The rest of the beetles agitated excitedly toward the top of the tank, while Lara's stomach fluttered with the prospect of escape. Squinting through her lashes, she saw Justine standing in the doorway, dressed in a black trench coat and heels, staring down at her with a grim look on her face. Justine moved from the light switch toward the tank and back to the door. She messed with the padlock connected to the chain. Hold on for a minute. I'm going to get you out of there, Justine said as she went into the laboratory. The next few minutes felt like an eternity. 
In the next room, Justine fumbled around, opening drawers, searching for something. She returned to the room, armed with a bolt cutter and a fly swatter. After snapping the padlock, she opened the glass door and used the fly swatter to ward off any stray beetles. Crawl slowly toward me, Justine reached out her hand. Lara did as she was told. When she got close enough to the door, Justine reached in behind her back to cut the plastic ties. With her hands free, she wriggled out of the tank quickly and brushed herself off. Do I have any of them on me? Laura unfolded her legs slowly, shaking off her arms and legs. Justine shook her head. No, you're good. They're too busy dancing in the light. She pointed up toward the top of the tank. How many bites did I get? Laura asked. Justine turned Laura's body around, inspecting every inch of the bare skin. Looks like about twenty. Not bad for hanging out with that swarm. Laura shuddered. Good thing I'm already on antibiotics. I don't know if those beetles were infected with the plague or not. She stopped suddenly and stared bewildered at Justine. How in the world did you find me here? Remember Fiddler's address, the one I got from the post office? Laura nodded. But, well, we're at that address. 3300 White Oak. White Oak Drive, Silver Spring. What? Lars stood still for a moment, as if paralyzed. Something didn't compute. They'd found that address over and over again. Rob and Detective Sanchez had checked it out twice and found nothing. Well, at least not on the surface. We thought it was a dead end. Justine nodded. Me too. When I first checked it out, I was fooled by the list of occupants, a bunch of tech startups. After tracking past communications between Cybershop and Killerbot, I found recurring evidence of this location and came to search it for a second time. I began poking around, paying each of the companies a visit and asking lots of questions. That's when I realized one of the companies was not what it seemed to be. Stunned, Lara opened her mouth to say something, but nothing came out. Justine continued, Fiddler used a front company to hide his laboratory and beetle farm. To uphold the facade of being a real tech company, the door to the lobby was open for visitors, I entered the lobby and looked around, but no one was here. Not a soul. When I did some further research, I discovered the business owner was listed as Frank Moore. Lara gaped at her. Fiddler used my Frank's name as an alias. That's how I realized his laboratory was here after all. Lara shook her head in disbelief. It was all in front of us the entire time. Well, if you didn't know what you were looking for, you wouldn't find it. And thank God I did and got it to you in the nick of time. How long have you been in there? Lars shrugged. I'm not sure. At least several hours. What time is it? Justine glanced at her watch. It's 7.15 a.m. I don't think I've ever been gl this glad to see anyone, Lars said. Slowly, she felt the color return to her face, but a moment later it drained again as she recalled everything Fiddler had said. We have to get out of here. I don't want Fiddler coming back and finding us. Oh, he's long gone. I saw him take off in a white van in quite a hurry. Any idea where he might be going? He must be getting ready, things ready for tomorrow. He's planning to let swarms of beetles loose on Fort Dietrich and Fort Meade. Fort Meade? Justine raised her eyebrows. Lara nodded. He wants revenge for the deaths of his son-in-law and grandson. Hmm. Justine was silent for a few seconds and then began leading Lara through the laboratory and out another door into a spacious lobby surrounded by glass walls. Lara gaped at the sight of the modern reception desk and posh waiting area, complete with contemporary lounge chairs, a glass coffee table, and a wide array of subscription magazines. Soft music played in the background. A giant metallic logo hung on the wall behind the desk. Technovation Industries, LLC. 
No wonder Robin Sanchez couldn't find it. This operation looks legit. Did you find Ashton? Lara asked, afraid of the answer. Do you mean that poor kid in the other room who got bitten by the killer beetles? Justine asked. Lara winced and nodded. Please take me to him. Justine frowned. There's not much left of him, I'm afraid. You didn't know him, did you? She motioned for Lara to follow her back through the lab and the beetle farm and down another hallway to the last door. Kind of. He was Sully's assistant, and he worked for Fiddler. But that didn't turn out very well for him. No, it didn't. When they entered the storage room where she'd been held the previous day, Ashton laid on the floor motionless. The beetles were gone. Lara ran over to him, bending down to touch his shoulder. Ashton, can you hear me? Lara asked. She shook him gently and felt for a pulse. When she detected a weak thump of blood pumping from his heart, she breathed a sigh of relief. Justine, he's alive. Call an ambulance now. Oh no, Justine said as she shook her head. I, I thought he was dead. I was going to just leave him there. She began dialing 911 on her phone. Ashton's eyes fluttered open. Lara? His voice was weak. Lara gave him a half smile. Yes, it's me. You're going to be okay. Listen, this is really important. Lara? Ashton rasped. Ashton, listen to me. I need you to tell me something. Do you know where Fiddler went? Do you know what he's planning? Ashton lifted his head slightly and nodded. He... Snakes. What do you mean? We know... We need to know where Fiddler went. We need to stop him from killing innocent people. Lara? Ashton trembled. Yes, I'm here, Lara said. He said... Fiddler said... He cut heads off snakes. You're not making any sense. Lara, listen to me. Ashton reached up to grab her shirt. His eyes grew large. He'll cut heads off of snakes. Yeah, I got that, but I don't know what it means. Ashton's eyes bulged. He let go of her shirt, gasped violently for breath, and then fell silent. Ashton, Ashton, stay with me. Lars shook him, trying to get him to open his eyes again. She slapped his cheeks a few times and then began CPR. Lars, it's no good, Justine said. No, I have to help him. Lara kept going for several minutes, but there was no response. Justine put a hand on her shoulder. Lara, he's dead. He was barely alive when I got here. Lara stopped, realizing the truth. She reached over and closed his eyes. After a few minutes had passed, she got to her feet. What was he saying about snakes? Justine asked. Lara shook her head. I have no idea. Something Fiddler said to him. Justine took a deep breath. We need to get moving. There's nothing we can do for him now. The ambulance will take him to the morgue. Though Ash Lara didn't want to leave Ashton's body, Justine was right. There was too much at stake for them to stay immobile. She reluctantly followed Justine back toward the elevator. Lara rubbed the back of her neck. I need to call Special Agent Martin. The FBI needs to scrub this place from top to bottom for evidence. Lara reached in her pocket but remembered her smartphone was smashed into pieces on the pavement at the storage company. Can I use your phone? Justine nodded and handed Lara her phone. Lara stared at the keypad and slowly entered Rob's cell number. She still had it memorized, even though the days of endless chatting were long over. The phone rang, and she hoped the number was right. Special Agent Martin, Rob answered. Rob, this is Lara. I'm calling from Justine's phone. Listen, we don't have much time. Fiddler kidnapped me and locked me up in a secret laboratory. Holy shit, Lara, are you okay? Where are you? Lara sighed. I'm fine. We're still at the building now. The address was the one we kept finding, the commercial complex on White Oak Drive. 
Fiddler owned a front company called Technovation Industries under the alias of Frank Moore, his son-in-law. You should send an evidence team out here right away. Maybe there's something that here that will help us confirm Fiddler's plans. I can't believe I was there and didn't notice it, Rob sounded disappointed. He hates being wrong. Then again, so do I. Lara tried to sugarcoat it a little. Fiddler hit it well. How could you know? None of us figured it out. Well, Justine found it, didn't she? Rob returned in a defensive tone. She said herself she was lucky to have found me. Lara told Rob about Sully's storage unit, finding Stepanoff rooting around the night of her abduction and his escape after the power outage. I'm coming there to get you, Rob said. No, I'm heading back to D.C. with Justine. Just send a team over here to collect the evidence. Maybe there's more information about Fiddler's next moves. He told me he plans to orchestrate a biological attack against Fort Dietrich and Fort Meade tomorrow. So we don't have much time. Oh, and Ashton is dead. What? He helped Fiddler kidnap me. Then he got a conscience and Fiddler killed him for it. The maniac attacked Ashton with a swarm of beetles. There wasn't much left of him. He died a few minutes ago. I tried to see if he knew what Fiddler was up to, but I didn't get much. Ugh, that's terrible. Lara knew Rob had seen his fair share of gruesome deaths, but it wasn't every day that someone got viciously devoured by beetles. Where should Justine and I meet up with you? Lara asked. Come down to the FBI Washington field office. I'm going to put together an interagency meeting to discuss the Fiddler situation and plan the response. Got it. See you in a few. Just gotta stop somewhere and get a new phone. She felt naked without it and figured she'd need access to information while they were trying to stop Fiddler. Justine sat down in the driver's seat of her white Honda and unlocked the door. Climbing in the car, Lara inhaled deeply, thankful to breathe fresh air again. Thanks for listening to the Bionic Bug Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. You can also support my time in producing the show with Patreon at www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash Natasha Bajma. See you next week.